So welcome everybody to the full tunnel B2B Marketing Summit and our session on marketing analytics and reporting with Chris Walker. I don't think Chris needs an introduction, but just in case that some of you might not know him, Chris Walker is the founder and the CEO of Refine Labs, which is a demand generation firm from Boston, and they're helping B2B brands increase marketing contribution to revenue while reducing the cost of acquisition. And he's also famous for his The State of Demand Gen podcast. And he's just all around, I think, uh, one of the most famous thought leaders when it comes to demand generation. I'm super excited to have you, Chris, here today. Super excited to be here. Hey, everyone. Good to see uh, we got quite a few people on here. If you feel comfortable, please feel free to turn your video on. It gives me a lot of feedback. I say, see Z in the crowd there with her video on, which I appreciate. Uh, it just gives me some feedback and some energy. So if you could, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Awesome. I love it too. So let's jump in. So the topic that you know we discussed that we will be talking about today is marketing analytics and reporting. And a lot of our listeners and a lot of people who are joining are running, let's say, B2B companies with high ACV, complex, you know, long sales cycles, multiple decision makers, et cetera. So what are some of the most common mistakes that you see people make when it comes to analytics and reporting? So we'll zoom out a little bit with, in terms of like the high ACV, I see common mistakes of that when, which is B2B companies going to market in general is one being way too transactional in their marketing. So this comes from a need to measure things. This comes from a need to attribute things. So every single campaign or touch point is direct response in a channel that can be measured quickly, which leads to what I consider to be more of like digital sales behavior than actual marketing behavior when you need that conversion, when you need that measurement. So that's one on the like lead gen or measurement side. Another one that I see is just general short-term focus, whether you're in super high ACV selling million-dollar ARR deals or whether you're selling 4K ARR deals, it doesn't really matter. It's just like when, when you look at marketing in such a small time window of a week, of 30 days, of a quarter, it drives short-term behaviors that I think can be very detrimental in the long-term, also detrimental in the short-term when you do things that are typically in the best interest for you, not your customer. All right. And so what should companies then be doing instead? So when we think about measurement and reporting, I think that there's a couple of things that I'm seeing right now. So I mentioned the need to measure everything, but what happens is that most companies end up centering on leading marketing metrics. I would consider them borderline vanity metrics because they are able to be moved easily, predictably, and quickly. So teams are looking for something that they can turn a button, hit a button, move a metric, or do something like that, as opposed to having a metric that would be more later funnel as, I, as far down as revenue and looking at that to be fully aligned with the sales team. The challenge is that, and I've seen this a lot with companies to try to do this, is when you change your metric to something away from a vanity metric into a metric that truly matters, what you have to do next is you need to change how you do marketing. Because at the beginning, most marketing strategies right now that exist in B2B companies are optimizing for an early funnel metric. Leads, MQAs, MQLs, pipeline with a poor definition of like stage one, hasn't talked to anyone, just booked a meeting or just booked meetings. Like any of those metrics, that's what marketing optimizes for. When you change to revenue or qualified pipeline or proposals or something later funnel, you need to change everything about marketing too. 
All right. And so if you look at one of the programs that you run or one of the transformations that you made with someone, one of your clients or one of the companies where you worked as a marketer, could you like walk us through the main steps and how this, how this could look like? In, yeah, in let's, talk, let's talk through it. Um, company joined us about 18 months ago, 50K ACV product, but can sell the 100000 to $250,000 deal to a large account. And when they started to work with us, we went back and did a historical analysis of the past 12 months performance. Over the past 12 months, marketing had collected 36,000 leads. Those leads came from heavy Google ads to ebook downloads, heavy LinkedIn ads to ebook downloads, content syndication for cheap leads and other sources like that. You got 36,000 leads and they won about 40 deals from it. So that means that one out of a thousand people that their SDRs were talking to, that their AEs were talking to, that they were spending money to collect as a contact actually became a customer, which is an incredibly inefficient process. If you think about the math here, 50K ACV, 40 deals, $2 million in ARR on about a five to a $7 million marketing expenditure, very poor customer acquisition costs. That doesn't even include all of the sales stuff. And so what we did there is we stopped because like I mentioned at the beginning, that whole marketing strategy was optimizing around how many leads can we get and how cheap can we get them. And so what we did is we changed the metric to we are going to align to revenue and use a leading metric of qualified pipeline. They call it stage three pipeline. <laughs> and so and then when you look at revenue and stage three pipeline and where buyers come from, so you, everyone's so obsessed about attribution, here it is, like, look at your attribution, see where the revenue comes from, and you're going to find direct traffic organic or paid branded paid search that comes through a demo form or a free trial form on your website, depending on your ACV, 60, 80% of your revenue comes through that way. And so instead of trying to go and collect leads and all these other places, content syndication, all that stuff, what we do is we optimize to have buyers go through the path that actually creates revenue. And the reason that it creates revenue is not because of the certain channels. It's because it's the way that buyers go when they are ready to buy something. They pass through on a desktop computer through certain channels to your website. They ask for a demo. They want to talk to a sales rep now because they've already pretty much decided that they're going to buy it. And so when you align to that metric, the first thing that we did, we were once we changed from leads, we were able to stop wasting $75,000 a month in Google ads to collect ebook downloads that didn't become customers. And we were able to stop wasting $75,000 a month in LinkedIn ads that collected leads and didn't become customers. So just right there, we got $1.8 million in a year that we can go out and respend that actually can drive a result. And so we took all that money back. We started to reallocate. We ended up spending $15,000 in Google ads for high intense terms, branded search. We did some tests. We're not, we currently spend with them $105,000 a month on Facebook and Instagram ads, which is by far our best performing channel. And then we're ramping up. We spent about $100,000 on LinkedIn ads as well. So we were able to completely reallocate the marketing mix to educate buyers, in the places where they are, not rely on needing to collect leads, not needing to rely on attribution to report on MQLs, to have more people pass through the website when they're ready to buy, when they're educated, when they've talked to their peers, when they've been inside of communities and validated that they want the product, they come in and they buy the product. What happens when you do that? Sales cycles for them went down. When we started working with them, it was 172 days. It's currently 70 days. Sales cycles drop because you're talking to people that are way closer to be done buying. Um, win rates are significantly higher. Their stage three win rates from marketing went from 19% to 31%. So they went 50%, basically 50% of the more deals that they have in qualified pipeline, they win. And at the moment, we're driving $7 million in pipeline a quarter. 
So big, you know, big lifts there. If you calculate 30% win of revenue, we're going to generate two, $2 million this quarter that we generated in pipe as opposed to $2 million they got last year. So general, like really big changes. Last thing, customer acquisition costs went way down. Their marketing, um, marketing cost of acquisition has been reduced by more than 50% over the time that we've worked together. So those are some of the things, and, and you noted some of the things that I called out here, moving from leads to revenue, some of the things that we changed, how it enables you to stop spending advertising in one way and move it to a different way, all built around breaking two core principles that a lot of marketers get handcuffed by, which is that you need attribution on leads and that we need leading metrics that we can change within the next seven days. All right. I think these are awesome results. And there's also so much to unpack here. Like you mentioned that the best the, the sales actually came from people who were in the market, who find your website, or your customer's website, went on, booked a demo and wanted to talk to sales. And what I see in a lot of cases is that a company is like kind of make this difficult. You know, they put up like big forms. They don't give you enough information unless you go and talk to somebody. But then you end up talking to a junior SDR who qualifies you, quote unquote, before they pass you on to somebody. And they make this whole process like super, super difficult. Like what are some of the biggest frictions that you see right there? And what are the best ways to kind of remove it and make this as smooth as possible? I think before we get there, one thing that I'm trying to communicate here is this is more than a marketing change, what I'm talking about. This is a go-to-market adjustment shift, mm -hmm. big shift, right? So this is going to impact how your SDRs, what the hiring profile of your SDRs, what they do on an activity basis, how they get measured. This is going to impact your account executives and different things like that. So it's a holistic sort of change. Now, when I try and help people understand what we're doing here, I can put it in a really simple form. And so B2B buyers spend their time in places that do not have intent, where they do not have buying intent to buy, but they spend a lot of their time consuming information, determining what business priorities they're going to set, collaborating with people, understanding what other people are doing in the market, discovering new problems and opportunities. These things are happening on social networks like LinkedIn and content platforms like YouTube or a podcast in Slack communities like Pavilion, Peak, a bunch of the other specialized ones, LinkedIn and Facebook groups, like general social networks, all of these different places. And so, but what marketing teams do is they try and capture leads that are not ready to buy and they try and have their sales team tell buyers these things when they don't want to buy. And what we're doing instead is that we're having marketing produce content and put them in the places where people actually are so that people understand more to move buying processes at scale. So instead of having a one-on-one -on -one conversation with sales that you're almost always going to lose, current rate is about one in a thousand. So you want your sales team spending a thousand conversations to win one deal, or would you rather have marketing handle most of those processes that you don't have to do with a human so that when your people want to buy, you actually have sales talk to them. So that's the, the simple explanation. When we think about the SDRs, I call this pipeline optimization and lead handoff optimization, basically like a sub form of RevOps. The way that I discovered this is because in 2017, I was generating a ton of high intent leads at qualified accounts that were ready to buy. And we were getting follow-up times from our reps at 24 to 72 hours. And so, and I realized that it was impacting the conversion rates through it. So it be, then it became because the only way I was going to get more budget, the only way that we were going to continue to scale the program is if we drove revenue, that me as a marketer started to become accountable to what happened in pipe. 
And so started to work with the sales team to figure out follow-up times, tried to, and the reason that the reps weren't following up, just for so everyone knows, the reason that reps weren't following up on time, because they spent the last three years with a marketing team that generated, sent them webinar and trade show leads that never became customers. Easiest way to lose trust with your sales team is send them a bunch of leads that don't buy. And so I got focused on that process and basically started to do a lot of data analysis and looking at how can we optimize this process so that because we're not getting millions of leads here. So out of the hundreds that we get, if we can convert them at 12% instead of 9% to customers, not to SQL, to customer, then that makes a huge difference. That drives a lot more revenue. And so we ran a, a bunch of tests. One of the things that companies, um, I think, should really reevaluate, one thing that I discovered about five years ago and I've been pushing really hard, is if you have true qualified accounts coming in, asking for demos with reps, that you don't need to pass them to an SDR, that it can go directly to a rep, that it's going to convert into qualified pipeline at 40, 50, 60%, that you don't need that layer. The reason that that layer was created in the early to late 2000s to have an SDR was because marketing generated thousands of leads that sucked, let's just call it what it is, that weren't good. And then you needed some low cost employee to search for a needle in a haystack to book a meeting. And so if you stop doing marketing that way, you could actually stop doing like follow up sales dev that way too. And so we pass and we recommend to our customers once we have conversion rates from high intent lead, MQL, whatever you want to call it, high intent lead from that to qualified pipeline above 40%, then those are going directly to account executives. And that's the recommendation. It creates a better buying experience. It's going to shorten sales cycles. It's going to improve conversion rates. You can have your outbound team do something that's way more productive. There's just so many reasons to do it this way. And it, all it comes from is just recognizing that buyers have different expectations. The world is way different than when we started doing some of these things and just looking at it and saying, if we started with a blank slate today about how we're going to do sales and marketing, we ignored all the things that are happening right now. We ignored all the constraints that exist in our business. We'll ignore all the things that we've been told over time. What would make the most sense to do? And if you actually did that, if you actually sat down with your entire team, whether it's your marketing team, whether it's your revenue team, whatever, and you actually had that discussion for a day, you'd come out with a very, very different sales and marketing strategy than what's in your business right now. There was a great question from Winston. Winston, do you want to ask it live or? Yeah, come to... on. Let's do it. Okay. So let's go for it. Yeah, hi, guys. Can you hear me? Yes. Hey, Winston. Good to see you. Hey, Chris. Good, good hearing from you. Um, can't jump on camera right now, so I'll just, I'll just go ahead and ask my question. So two questions, Chris. First of all, when you're working with your clients, what's, what's like the time frame? Do you have like a time frame that you use to set expectations as to, okay, this is going to take us six months, nine months, 12 months before you start seeing any sort of um, impact as it relates to revenue? And also, the second question is, how do you set the right expectations and justify the time it takes uh, for those results to kick in? So we did a analysis with the companies that the, all of the companies that had at least six months of historical data before they worked with us that was clean. And we analyzed 18 companies that have been a customer for more than six months. And the median increase in qualified pipeline over the first quarter is 60%. And so people think we're over here taking a long time to impact results, but literally just optimizing your forms on your website, handing off leads in a better way and stop wasting so much money on Google. And you can drive a pretty big impact straight away. 
And so that's what we're getting. That's what the data shows. I do not promote that a lot because I don't want people to be confused and to think that this is a 90 day game. Marketing is a long term game. And so I don't like you asked the question, so I answer that. But I almost never say that because what happens is that their pipeline went up by 60 percent in the first quarter, but then it went up by 30 to 60 percent every quarter after that. And that's what matters. What matters is six quarters later, when instead of making a million dollars in pipeline in the quarter, you're now doing 12 million. And people don't see that because they look at marketing in such a small window. So they end up going one, 1 million to 1.2 million to 1 million. And they keep going up and down and things like that. That's the impact that it can drive in a short term. We've gotten very good at our process, knowing what things to do in what order to drive that result. And that's what we're getting right now. Okay, I want one last follow-up to that, um, since you mentioned it. Is it something that you see being typical for, for refined labs now, or is it not that, that you just described is actually an exception? That's the reason why you don't really promote it that much. No, that's the median. <laughs> that's the median outcome. So that would be considered typical, yeah. And I guess like on, as a kind of a follow-on on that, like, do you experience some resistance when you're trying to, you know, create basically like you say you transform the whole go-to-market? And how do you like how do you get the execs on board? Funny thing here about our marketing strategy that most uh, B2B companies should wake up to is that I don't try and convince anyone that doesn't want to be convinced. I produce content at scale. I put that out on the internet and then I let my buyers who believe in the things that I believe that have seen all the dumb stuff that happens in companies, and I let them go and do the convincing for me using my content. I don't have to do anything. No, I get, I, I get produce I, it. I produce it, right? So I just put it out. I'm positive. Put it out, put it out on LinkedIn about an hour ago. People are going to clip that link. CMOs, marketing managers, they're going to take that and they're going to take my video and they're going to put it in their senior leadership Slack channel for their company. And then the CEO, the CRO is going to understand, oh, this is, these are all the, tr the dumb things that happen when we measure influenced revenue. Maybe we should stop doing that. And it's a touch point. And that touch point matters. And then you see three or five or seven videos going on. And so that's like, because our strategy is so unique, because our strategy goes against what most people think are best practices and the best practices and quotes for the people that are listening afterwards are solely things that have been made up by either ad tech platforms, MarTech vendors, or analyst firms. Those are the best practices. And so because our stuff doesn't follow the best practices, yeah, some companies aren't going to adopt it. And that's fine with me. They, um, yeah. My question was more like, other than sharing the content that you're they're putting out on LinkedIn, do you have any advice to the marketers who are now today around the table mm -hmm. of how can they, you know, go down that path and potentially totally. like get them on board? Yeah. So the this is what we do in order to get this done. Any marketer can do this. It's called a proprietary process we've created called Split the Funnel. And so what you're going to do is you're going to map back all of your marketing source revenue and you need to have a basic marketing operations or rev ops set up in order to do this. But you're going to take all of your revenue and you're going to map it back to lead source. Lead source is going to be you're going to have lead source. You're going to actually have conversions. So what did they convert on? Was it an ebook? Was it a newsletter? Was it a cold call? Was it a demo? Where did they convert? And what channel were they referred from? Did they come from Google Pay? Did they come from a LinkedIn ad? Did they come from an affiliate website? Did they come from organic? And you're going to take all of that and you're going to analyze the data to revenue that you attributed to sourced by marketing. And then when you do that, what you're going to find is the places where all of the places where you're generating a high volume of leads, where you optimize for a low cost per lead is going to show you that none of those channels are actually delivering results. They're just giving you cheap contacts. 
you're buying email addresses over here for $50 each that aren't converting to customers. And what it will show you is, oh, here's where all the revenue is coming from. And where I mentioned organic search, direct traffic that comes through and asked typically a high intent conversion, asking for a demo or to talk to sales. And when people see that, they they'll think one of two things. They'll think, oh, our SEO is doing so good. Let's stop doing all this stuff and let's do more of SEO. The second thing that they would think of is, oh, we're not going to be able to control how many people go through this. I don't understand because they're stuck in a straight line attribution game, not understanding that, oh, if you market over here in LinkedIn and then the whole company starts to see your post and they believe in it, that eventually someone's going to come back and search the brand and go to your website and ask for something. And so when you see what, what I normally see is 60 to 80% of revenue comes through in that way then it enables you to go back to executive and say, look, I know that we need all of these. I know that we have all these constraints that we need to get attribution, that we need to have this many leads. But what I'm seeing here is that all of the things that we're doing to collect these leads have super high customer acquisition costs, four years sometimes, more than four years advertising CAC payback on some of these things, that it's wasting a ton of our sales team's time. You can try and quantify that. It could be millions of dollars for a big company that is creating major misalignment problems that we're not helping sales achieve their targets because we're optimizing for cheap leads, not for leads that convert into revenue. And so what we've done here is we've looked and we see, okay, here's where all the revenue is coming from. And it comes through this specific way. And the reason it comes from this specific way is because people do this when they're in buy mode, because they've already gotten their, their coworkers on board, because they've already consumed a lot of information, because they already believe in our category, because they've already decided that we're the preferred vendor, and now they're going to come in and look and come to our website and ask for us. So we need to think about what are the things that we need to do to have people do that, to communicate with their peers, to share content internally, to be enabled to make buying decisions so that they can know what the price is going to be before they come and ask for a demo. Da, 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 da. And it's just about the difference here is that most companies try and control the sales process on their own so that they can measure things. And what I do is I give all of it away so my buyers can do their own buying process. It's a completely different way of looking at it. Okay, but you're mentioning like some of these high intent sources like you know search, SEO, uh, high intent keywords, maybe even on Google ads, et cetera. There's only so many buyers right now in the market. And maybe if they are, they've been educated by your competitor, maybe they're going to go to your competitor anyway. So. I guess you have to do a number of things also to create that demand and, and, and increase that organic search. So what are some of the best practices there? Totally. Yeah, that's what we're talking about here. So when you have that, when you align on this idea of this is the way that I want people to come through because this is the way that people go when they're ready to buy that actually convert to our customers, then you look out and you say, oh, but we're trying to capture demand in all of these other places like content syndication and LinkedIn ads. And all these places where people aren't buying. So then you have to change your strategy around and say, okay, I actually want people to understand more about what we do, to believe in our category, to have affinity for our company, to understand all the features of our products so they can start to spec in those types of things. And then I figure out, okay, so then where are all the, where are people, where are people looking? I'll give you an example. In 2017, 18, I was selling into emergency rooms and intensive care unit hospitals, physicians. And we were mark before I got there, we were marketing and trade shows, trade publications, and we were going outbound with the sales team. And that was, and then that was basically the marketing mix. And when I went and visited all the, all the buyers, the people that were working in these hospitals, I noticed that they spent a ton of time on their mobile device in the break room. They were on Facebook and Instagram and places like that. 
And so I started to market there. I started to put content there, both organically and paid in Instagram and Facebook. We were selling to nurses. We were selling to physicians. We were selling to respiratory therapists. People at the company that I worked at almost laughed me out of the room when I said we were going to do this. And honestly, like a lot of people, almost a lot of advisors to me in 2019 almost laughed me out of the room when they, when I said, I'm going to grow my company, putting content on LinkedIn, not building a sales team. And so I'm not really sure how I got onto that, but that's, <laughs> that's where we ended up. We can go to the next question. All right. There was a great question from Bill. Bill, do you want to turn on the camera and Mike and ask it yourself? Sure. Hey, Chris, how are you? Hey, Bill, good to see you again. Same here. So the question is, how would you um, advise organizing, especially the content team, to drive the kind of um, behavior of creating high-value, relevant content at scale? You're obviously a powerhouse yourself with your own recordings. How would you advise that get organized, especially if a product marketing team is pulled into supporting sales, creating content for that, and they've got to be really focused on either SEO or, um, or other kind of content to deliver that at scale? What are best practices today for organizing? and and how do you know how many people you need relative to your um, your volume? There's one major thing that I see most companies screw up when they think about content that doesn't belong in search. Most companies grew up creating content for search, which is intent-based, which means that I'm going to go in there, I'm going to ask for something, and then somebody's going to give it to me. But now where people are, where B2B buyers spend most of their time and research and discover through the evolution of the internet is on places that do not have intent on LinkedIn, in a community, in a podcast, different places like that. And you almost need an entirely different content strategy built around expertise, not around matching keywords to intent. And so depending on who you're selling to, like it, it's, it works well for me right now, right? Because I consider myself a marketing leader and I'm marketing to marketers and marketing leaders. It works really well. But in 2017, I was a product marketer, demand marketer, and we were selling to emergency room physicians. And so me being the person that's going to be out on the content was not the strategy, right? And I, was do, I almost did the exact same thing for this company, except I would bring on experts that had done clinical trials, that had published reports, that had used our product, that had collaborated on other things. And I would bring them on as guests and I would interview them. I would put together roundtable events with four physicians that had all done research in this area because I understood what people wanted to know. And so I, and then I understood who people trusted and then I reverse engineered how to get them part into part of our content strategy. And then that's where we went to. And so the number one thing that I see B2B companies miss is that they do not involve subject matter expertise in a awareness, create demand content strategy. And so the options there, and I've done both of these, they can both work. You can hire somebody, sometimes your best customer, sometimes somebody that's in the market that can be the host of the podcast, that can be the leader of the community that could do those things. You can also just collaborate with other people that are experts. I think that having someone internal do that, I think is an incredible buy for a high growth software company. I think most companies should do that in order to have that, the level of expertise on the marketing team and to have the control, right? So I can come on here and I can talk anytime. If like a company needs to use external resources that aren't part of their company, they are on their time. They're relying on them. So I think that a company should always try and take control over that part of the process, which would involve either having an executive that wants to partake in the content strategy or 
hiring another executive or person that's like your buyer to be part of that marketing team. And then you think you talked a little bit about mechanics. If you want to ask that question, I'd be happy to go into that. But the I didn't have enough context on your question, but my guess is expertise. All right. Well, thanks, so. That's good enough. I'll let you move on to other questions. Thanks. Thanks, Bill. I think we had Zineb next. Yes. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Vladimir. Um, so you're a big advocate of, of the basics. And, and my question is, so basics, you know, just for context, understanding people, how they make decisions, why they bought your product, uh, et cetera. So how do you make sure that your clients actually adopt all that? They make that shift with or without you. So I call this basics, but the real thing to call it is strategy. <laughs> Understanding what your buyers are doing, where they spend their time, how they want to buy, where they get information from, who they trust. That's all inputs to put together a good strategy. And what I find is that most companies don't do any of that. They don't do any of that and they just move and they adopt technology and they just do stuff and they're guessing. And so they end up marketing in places where their customers aren't. They end up creating content their customers don't care about. They end up spinning their wheels, creating vanity metrics that don't help their sales team. And so I'm encouraging a lot of companies and I'll just be 100% honest, like not all the customers that we have here do any of this stuff. So it's not something like, oh, you come and work with us and this magically gets solved. It's really hard for companies to prioritize this because of how much inertia there is for technology and easy stuff. Like when I was a marketer in 2018, it was probably one of the best things that ever happened to me. The CMO at that company had a, it was part of my scorecard on a quarterly basis that I had to go out in the field and visit five customers or prospects. If you're a CMO, that's probably, and you don't have to go in the field, right? There's expenses around that. It was important for us. You don't have to do that. But getting your marketers out in the market and putting that as a, I, I don't see that on almost any marketer's scorecard right now. I really think it should be. And so it's, this comes down to leadership. Are you a CMO that wants your marketers to lead the way, to innovate, to be in places that your customers are, to love your brand, to be able to create stuff that people really want? then you're going to need to do these things. All right. So I, I got an interesting question from Amina. I think it's, it's relevant to kind of go back to because we started the whole, the whole thing with marketing analytics. What are the metrics to focus mm -hmm. on? And you were talking about basically revenue and qualified pipeline. Do you have anything to add about the metrics and reporting and what are the metrics, leading maybe metrics that make sense looking at at the different stages? Yeah, totally. I can go through quite a few metrics that we track here. The most important and critical thing for people to understand when you got on this path is that the idea of straight line, perfect attribution is over. And so you're going to have to work on correlation. You're going to have to work at connecting data from different sources, not in Looker, using your brain, connecting data from different sources, using intuition to make decisions, taking qualitative information of what your customers are telling you and weighting that appropriately in your model. And so this becomes way less scientific, way less math, way less tech, it becomes way more customer focused intuition using data to inform decisions. And so if we're looking at qualified pipeline and revenue, and we're aligned on this one holistic funnel coming through the website, which is what I recommend for every company. So if you're aligned on that, there are certain metrics that definitely are positively correlated with those things moving away, the leading metrics that we see that we measure tightly are direct traffic, and demo page views or high in, whatever your high intent page is, page views, and you should not be running paid traffic directly to that page. 
So those are the two metrics. And the way that you move those metrics is indirectly. You don't turn on an ad and you move the metric. Or you don't do SEO and then move the metric. You indirectly move them. And that's why I think they're really interesting metrics is they're tough to game. Most marketing metrics are easy to game. They're easy to make it look like something's working and move when they're not. These two that I find to be difficult to. So you have that. If you're running paid, paid LinkedIn, paid Facebook and Instagram, paid YouTube, you can use what we call custom conversions that align on a demo form conversion within your attribution window, which we typically use 30 days that do not have to happen direct response and will not show up in attribution software. Like we know very closely on LinkedIn that the people that we're marketing to are converting on demos because we can see it on LinkedIn. LinkedIn tells us 10 people saw these ads and then they asked for demos and you spent $3,000. That means your people are filling out your demo form for CFOs and VPs of finance are filling out your demo form for $300 each. And I'm like, that's great. Cause our demo form is converting to customers at 10%. So we're getting customers for $3,000. But it takes a little, it's a little bit harder because you're not going to see that in marketing automation. You're not going to see that directly attributed to an opportunity. It makes it a little bit more challenging. And then the last thing that's most important, we have three levels of what I would call common sense attribution that layer on top of software-based attribution. One, how did you hear about us? Put it on your high intent form that drives most of your revenue. We have that as a required field. I'm going to run the analysis at some point soon, but we have more than hundreds of submissions now. And my guess, I want to confirm this, but my guess just based on qualitatively looking at the things is that more than 50% of the submissions of what our customer says, this is where I heard about you versus what attribution software says, this is where they heard about you are completely different, totally lost. If people, if, if you want to use a strategy, like what I'm telling you, that's the number one, put that on your form. You're gonna be able to change your strategy within 30 days. I feel like. Because your customers are really, really going to tell you that they're not learning about you through SEO, that they're not discovering you on your ebook downloads, that they're not hearing about you in trade shows, and you're going to get the real stuff. So that's one. The second one is win analysis. Some of our customers have implemented this and had really good success, which is once you close deals, that you can actually call those people. You can use a third party. You could have customer experience do it. You decide how you want to implement it to remove biases and things like that to get the real stuff about how someone really discovered you. How long, how long did it take from when they heard about you to when they decided that they wanted to buy? What are the steps they take? What content did they look at? Where'd they share it? Where'd they find it? How, who else did they compare to? Those are things that marketers I find just don't do. And so then you have a really good sense about, oh, okay, so these are where people are initially discovering us. This is basically like a real buyer journey, right? Like a lot of companies have this like fake buyer journey that's basically just like, problem awareness, they go through this little path and everything's great. Like you're going to get the real stuff over here, which is messy, which is hard to track, which is things that you don't think are actually happening. And then the last one um, that we've also done for some companies and a really good results and good response from executives is large scale market research surveys targeted at your decision makers inside of companies that talk about what they think about your category, brand awareness inside of those things. What do they think about first when they hear your brand? How do they want to buy? Where did they discover you specifically? And running that survey on a three, six, nine month rolling basis can give you a lot of good insights to start to make larger. I know that this stuff is happening, right? Like I know that it's there. I don't need the survey data, but maybe your executive team does. My executive team did in 2017. And when I showed them, hey, 80% of our buyers want to do this, these three things before they ever talk to our sales team, we need to change our marketing strategy because our buyers are telling us this. 
that's where you start to get some movement and some buy-in. So we are, I think we have a few minutes left. Yeah, let's do it. And uh, everybody, please just let us know what you think of the session. Drop it in the comment. We really appreciate your feedback. We only have time for maybe a couple more questions. So I got a lot of questions here from Martin. Uh, Martin, if you want to come live and ask maybe just one of those questions, the one that kind of highest priority for you. Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, I've been following Chris for a while and really love your content. But one thing which keeps saluting me is I know the value of word of mouth of trade shows of like these interactions which are intractable. But how do you go about measuring their effectiveness or defining like, okay, this trade show was effective in this way because we had these types of conversations or there is this closed LinkedIn channel and they're talking about our product or our problems. How do you measure it? Because you can't pull it from an ad platform or something else. Yeah. So first off, I wouldn't put trade shows in this bucket. Like I'm pretty much believe that using trade show boosts as a main part of your marketing strategy is a waste of money in this day and age. And I believe that since 2016, when I started measuring the ROI of those things, you should still go to the conferences. I go to them. I try and speak at them. I try and meet people, but you don't need a booth to do that. It becomes way less, way more cost effective in terms of ROI. So that's one point on the word of mouth thing. This is something that I mentioned, like marketers love to hold on to metrics so that they feel safe. And when you're going to do stuff like this, you're not going to have metrics to feel safe. And so I go off of gut feel. I go off of what customers tell me. I didn't know. I'm not making this stuff up about people sharing my posts in Slack channels. All I did was I put content on LinkedIn for several years. And then as I interact with people, people send me screenshots of their CMO posting it in their Slack channel. Or the CMO just tells me that they share my post every day to their marketing team. And so I'm like, wow, like something different is happening here that I don't think was happening two years ago. And then I see an ad on LinkedIn for a product that we might want to use. And I screenshot the ad and I send that in my own Slack channel to people. I think it's interesting, but someone else is the decision maker on that. I'm going to have someone else do that. No attribution on that on a LinkedIn ad. So it's not like I have no control over it. I feel like I have very strong control over it. It's that I acknowledge that it's something that doesn't need to be measured. I acknowledge that it's happening anyway. I acknowledge that I would it'd be way better to keep doing good marketing than to stop and figure out how to measure this. Um, and so that's a opinion that probably will not fly in some boardrooms. And if it doesn't fly in some boardrooms, might want to find a new boardroom. And maybe one more question, Genia, yeah. or if I'm pronouncing that right, uh, do you want to ask your question about sales? I, th I thought it was interesting. Yes. Thank you so much, Chris. My question is about your pipeline optimization. I started doing something similar to that and 100% agree. My biggest challenge is to get salespeople on board. What I've noticed is marketing team is very open to collaborate with sales team, but I guess the nature of the way they work, they're more individualistic. And they're very competitive with marketing team. They don't want to disclose information. They don't want us to contact their sales or their customers already. So it's been a lot of pushback from sales team. And in order this to work, we really need to get aligned. Like, did you ever have any problems like this? And how did you overcome that? So yes, this is a very common struggle typically that's created because salespeople have been receiving garbage from marketing for years. Right. So they have an impression, whether it's been at your company, whether it's been at previous companies, that 
the things that marketing delivers are not as good as what I can get on my own, that I'm going to let SDRs do all this stuff and I'm only going to sit on meetings and do demos, that I'm too good to do prospecting. That's some of the stuff that gets created in sales behavior. But what I found is that when I'm providing my sales team with the best path for them to hit quota and get in president's club, that they don't care, that those things go out the window. And so when I think about this as a marketer, there's two things. One, you have to know that the things that you're delivering to them are number one, by far the best opportunity for them to hit their goals. If you don't feel that, there's no sense in going to step two, but that's step one. Step two is leveraging data along with sales leadership to get compliance and buy-in at the individual contributor level. And so we started doing it and it's like, oh, all I had to do was go to the VP of sales and say, look, we've been doing this marketing. We, so far we've collected 25 leads. I've passed them to your sales team. We've won five out of 25 raw leads to win. So we're winning 20% of raw leads. Our customer acquisition cost is $4,000 instead of $27,000 in outbound. Our sales cycle lengths are 42 days instead of 180 days. These leads are really good. Can you help your team follow up with them in a reasonable amount of time? And that's where you get the you get the initial thing from sales leadership. And the VP of sales was really smart at that company. He started having the people that were successful closing deals in 42 days, sharing them on. At that point, we were using Salesforce Chatter, right? We probably would have been using Slack if it was today, but we we're using Salesforce Chatter with a rep in Louisiana that closed a hundred thousand dollar deal in 42 days and was on a pip and now is in president's club. And so those are a couple of the ways, but the number one, and I think the place where a lot of marketers miss is that they are not providing their sales team with the best path. They just think they are. Thank you. Thank you. Awesome, Chris. I wish we had more time. I'm, I'm sure we, we, go, we can go for this for a while. Yeah. And uh, there, there are more questions. I'm sorry for everybody who couldn't, couldn't get their question answered. I'm sure that, you know, Chris will be happy to if yeah, you if reach you, out on Twitter. Me the, if you send me the chat, I'll grab it from you afterwards. We'll answer them on the, my live show tomorrow. Well, there you go. Awesome. <laughs> Much appreciated. So thanks, Chris. People are loving the session. I don't know if you are checking the comments, but we got an overwhelming you know, amount of positive feedback. I think it was, you really nailed the topic. Thank you so much for coming. And it was a great session. Thanks, everyone. Awesome to see you all. Hope to see you soon. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, cool. everybody. Have a great Bye, everyone. Bye. Have a great week. Hey, everyone. Thanks for checking out this episode of the State of Demand Gen podcast. You know, it's crazy to think that now more than 15,000 demand marketers, sales reps, product marketers, field marketers, CMOs, and everything in between are listening to this podcast and getting a ton of value out of it. And so if you've been listening to the podcast and you've been getting value out of it, I would really, really, really appreciate if you could leave a rating in the podcast section. It would mean a lot to me. Thank you and see you for the next episode.